This podcast is intended for listeners that are 18 years or older. Explicit language, sensitive content, and views that are objectionable to some listeners may be present in the podcast. As such, listener discretion is strongly advised. Please read our podcast terms and conditions before listening to Up the Rabbit Hole. Welcome back to Up the Rabbit Hole with uh, Dr. Corey Arushka, sex therapist, and I have Brandy here as well. So Brandy, any, any news updates on your front? Uh, anything new and exciting before we start talking about our new topic of BDSM? So we're doing intro to BDSM. Yes. Oh, this is a good topic. I tell you what. Such a good, so many things to be discussed in this, in this one. I love it. Before I even talk about BDSM for those that don't know what it is. I'm going to talk, start with my old jokes and those are going to be somewhat related to today's topic in, in a bunch of ways. So there was an old bull and a young bull standing on a hillside overlooking a pasture and the young bull says to the old bull, hey, let's run down and have sex with one of those heifers. And the old bull replies, uh, you run down there and, and do that one. I'll walk and I'll just do them all. For those of you who don't know, a heifer is a female cow. Yes, so, and, and this will relate, in fact, to the next topic, because the next topic we're going to be talking about is uh, wing stuff. And so there's going to be some interesting stuff that I'll be writing to another bull story, too. Oh, so, intro to BDSM. So what is, what is BDSM? Brandy, do you want to start oh. by explaining a little bit about... Oh, no, I was going to let you letters. take this one. I'm letting you well, take me, this one. I got the next one. one. Okay, fine. <laughs> Good try though. Uh, so BDSM. Now, BDSM stands for a few different things because a lot of people think it just stands for the standards, which would be, you know, bondage is usually the most common one, but the D can stand for either discipline or dominance. So it depends on what that uh, would look like. Uh, the S is usually termed for sadism, or and they usually sometimes go together with the M, which would be the masochism, sadism, masochism. Sadism is where the person enjoys, yeah, and this is where we get into clinical terms. So right now, sadism would be give the giver of uh, pain, usually, and they experience pleasure from that. It originally comes from a clinical term of the sadism where someone uh, gets sexual arousal from inflicting pain on someone else. Or masochism, um, and I think that was the, the sadism, sorry, is from the Marquis de Sade is somewhere where that originally came from. So if you're really interested in looking at uh, some early kink back in the, the time, that's kind of where it started. And um, masochism is the, the receiver of that person who enjoys sexual, usually gets turned on by re being receiver of pain, usually. Now, in the clinical terms, and I'm going to break this down between the clinical and, and, and the non-clinical or the, the place, in clinical terms, these are individuals that are usually torturing someone. The true status is someone who actually gains sexual pleasure out of torturing someone 
um, against their will um, and non-consensually. Now it could be, but it's usually much more clinically severe. Whereas a masochism or a masochist would be someone who is to their own detriment is you know, encouraging or getting pleasure from like tortured. And I've had uh, some clinical cases where I've heard of some clinical cases where this can include you know, cutting off of body parts and ingesting body parts of others um, and kind of running down to the death of the other person or, or one person. Um, and, you know, consensually doing this, but this comes where with a mental health issue um, versus what we're talking about is a sense of, I call it more like a play community of the BDSM community where this is all consensual and done with the intention of being in a healthy, uh, consensual uh, play space. Things I missed on that one is a start. I don't think so. I think for, for to break it down really easy, if you think of Fifty Shades of Grey with the in the first one, and she's he's given her the belt and is really quite enjoying that. It's kind of like what a sadist is. Yeah, people can visualize that as opposed to more just odd. Right. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm going to be dating myself. What is it, the 1600s or something like that back then? Mm -hmm. And so commonly within these four areas or five areas there's a bunch of different categories. And within those categories, you have stuff like the restraint or bondage. And some of that can include, you know, suspending people, uh, you know, by ropes uh, or mummification or saran wrapping people will do, um, you know, the classic handcuffs or tying people with ties. And this can be, you know, light playful. I've had people do bondage with a thread. Um, I've also had people do bondage where, you know, you're pretty much wrapping the whole person up with rope and if they're not moving. And so you got that full range of that, of the restraint kind of dynamics. Um, there's the pain sensation um, or play. And so that can include your, you know, your whipping, flogging, caning, needling, clamping, using paddles, candling, you know, wax, you know, any of that kind of stuff is typically for that that pain or sensation play. I've even, there's electro play too, where you'll use little electrifying instruments to kind of shock or kind of cause you know, your hair to stand up um, from that electrical field. I've seen some of that. Um, there's also the next area would be mental play. And that's uh, sometimes word, um, I assume I can use this from a clinical term of mind fucking. So that's kind of, I've seen um, mental play being used through hypnosis. Uh, there was a case again consensually individuals going on the stage but in you know through hypnosis playfully torturing someone and inducing orgasms on stage for that embarrassment or uh, arousal and so that's kind of the mind stuff uh, or humiliation teasing or even power play so this is kind of that dominant stuff um there's uh, a call it the breath play or airplay stuff um and then there's some some kind of power play related to other stuff like role playing. And so that could look like uh, puppy play, pony play, piggy play. Um, uh, it's definitely amusing and worthwhile to look up um, if that's kind of, uh, you know, if you're not knowing any about it, it's a very uh, interesting and fascinating kind of integration of a bunch of other areas. And then, you know, usually there is that, uh, the importance within all of these activities is this sense of really clear communication and rules and negotiation of rules set up front, um, the negotiation of those rules, a sense of community, a really strong sense of safety in the community typically, 
Um, now, you might not be a part of the community while you're doing this. So some people will do this by themselves or within their own relationship or within their home. Um, but again, the, the component that we're talking about is that safety and then kind of the aftercare. You, you might, when you look at it from the outside, your clinical behavior might almost look exactly like your kink, you know, behavior from the outside. But underneath it, there is a, it's a whole different game, a whole different dynamic and style and reason for why people are doing this. So some people will do this to help compensate for historical stuff, or they just found that their body really likes it. Um, any, any goodies you want to add to that? No, that was beautiful. It's perfect. Well done. What are some of the common terms that you've heard in the kink community of what you've heard regarding what positions people may play? Oh, lots. We've got our, our dom. We've got our- a Dom, what's a Dom? Let's start there. Uh, dom is typically male who is, when you're working in power play, who is kind of directing what is going on uh, with consent with the partner, but it is, he is the giver of the, of whatever is happening, either sexually, or it could just be a scene that they're setting up. Um, whips and chains, um, being restrained, being suspended, but he is creating the scene and he's running the show, is the dom. Okay. Now, there's old term dominatrix. And that was I wasn't done. <laughs> okay. There was, there's female versions, of course, which is dominatrix, and she does the exact same thing. I've actually witnessed that in person just not too long ago. Um, I was out and there was a, I, I didn't know it was a gentleman at, a, at the time. I just assumed that it was, um, and he was in a submissive state. His, his owner was dominatrix and he um, had on a full leather mask, looked like a piggy. Um, and she, he was tethered, um, collared, and he sat on his knees for about 40 minutes while she enjoyed drinks. So she was the definitely dominatrix of the, of the pairing. And he did exactly what he was told to do. And that would put him in a submissive role. And she would have been the dominatrix because it was female led in that particular time. But in regards to other terminology, we have the submissive, which is typically the receiver of either the sexual act or whatever the scene is. Um, there's switch. Those are people who can be either a dom or a submissive. And then we've got other Eric things like a bossy bottom, which would be somebody who um, the dom is kind. It's kind of an odd an odd thing because you would think that she's the dominant but she's not but she's directing what she's receiving from the dominant so a bossy bottom would be like you need to do it this way um harder softer tie me up tie me down so the dom is still giving it who would be like a service dom so like kind of like your porn males right they're able to last a long time because they're servicing the bossy bottom but she's she's kind of telling how it's going to go so this brings up the good memory trigger for me because I actually wrote an article not too long ago about kids and guess where I got all this stuff from yeah. well, clarifying some of these interesting terms because yeah. in the community there's a general understanding of what's going on and you know for me I was yeah of course thinking analytical about this and so I wanted to kind of really identify titles because when I'm it wasn't fully making sense to me when people would call themselves like you know hey I'm a service dom and I'm like okay, now I want to look at this organization of this hierarchy or how it all fits. And things weren't making sense to me because they were following the lead of someone else, 
of what they wanted. I'm like, okay, I had to write an article. So it just came out. And so I, I wrote an article called The Map, which is Model of Action Perceived Power, which is kind of breaking apart the, the kink, well, it's not really the kink community, but the engagement activities into something that is an easy model to understand. And so as Brandy mentioned, the, you know, the dominant submissive is on that power play. So I kind of broke it down into saying, you have that continuum of level of dominance to level of submission on one axis. And on the side is the action play. And this would be, you know, the top or bottom. And the topper is usually the, the giver and the bottom is the receiver. And so sometimes as Brandy was mentioning, you get a bossy bottom and it could be a bratty bottom, but they're the ones that are in, in the lead of telling someone what to do. So technically they're in a dominant position, but they're actually the receiver of the activity. So that would be, you know, your, your dominant bottom versus a dominant top, which would be, as you mentioned earlier, leading it and doing the activity. On the, on the other quadrants of the submissive side would be your service, service bomb or a, your sexual slaves that some people will call themselves because they like being told what to do and they like to be the doers. They like to follow and do versus my your submissive bottoms, and I kind of kind of identified one of the things that people may call themselves, like prey, or you know uh, that's the easiest one that kind of meant. So it's consensual prey, where they like to be you know desired and hunted or done to and be submissive. So they're following the lead of whoever, someone, and also being done to at the same time. I, I kind of wrote a whole nicely article around that one. So if you are interested, it's called Model of Action Perceived Power, and Julie will make that link attached. But it, I think it categorizes it really, really nicely, and it's a beautiful visual that people can really understand. So please check it out, if, especially if you're getting interested into BDSM or you're already into BDSM, you don't really know where you fit or how you want to how to run things. Check it out; it'll it'll really clarify a lot. And I think the other good point is because some people have a general preference, but even when you change an activity, you know, that whole, you will fit somewhere totally different on the model. And in my model, certain, and have two lead dancers if you're dancing, let's say. And so in this dynamic, it kind of identifies what works well together yeah. in a simplistic model too. But we have some audience questions that we have kind of been brought forward. And so we'll see if we can help answer some of these to help in, you know, give more insight into uh, these situations. And Brandy, are you okay with taking the lead on going through those questions? Ask the questions, absolutely, here we go. Uh, here's the first one. I am a 35 year old woman who is just starting to get into the BDSM activities. I have learned about using safe words, but my partner does not want to use one when we have sex. What should I do and how can I talk to him about this? Uh, okay, so I guess, I mean, the first thing we have is now, is this really BDSM or is this moving into, because again, we talked earlier about, um, you know, BDSM versus sex. Not all BDSM involves sex. There can be dry play, which may have nothing to do with sexuality, even though you might be getting aroused. And so uh, in here, when we're looking at kind of that healthy model, safe words are, are like crucial because you're playing with, you know, higher risk type of behavior. And for me, that, that, that's almost a mandatory requirement. And so if someone's not wanting to have a safe word, that's starting to look into kind of potential for abuse dynamics. And I kind of get, you know, my raise my eyebrow or start to get a bit concerned. Because my question would be, how does she communicate when things are uncomfortable or not wanted if there's no safe word? Because even if she says stop, that that is a safe word. It's also part of the care that... Um 
the dom is kind of responsible for in BDSM. The dom is typically responsible, or dominatrix, I beg your pardon, is typically responsible for the pre-care, the care during, and the aftercare of the submissive. So, I mean, if they're using, for example, paddling and it's getting too hard, there has to be some type of word or some type of communication that this is too much, it needs to stop. Or alternatively, ooh, that was... Ooh, that was something you can go a little bit harder, but not too much. They need to be communicated. Otherwise, you know, then boundaries can be crossed and it can really go sideways on you. And then you have kind of a breach of trust or, I mean, cause this is a very trust required activity. Yes. And so if you're not trusting your partner, you know, like my question is, why are you doing it? So yeah. that's, that's your first kind of thing. And we don't really know what the BDSM activities are. So I would need clarification on that as well. We don't know what the activities are. So I would look at that as well and see what, what we're looking at. But if it's just, not just, but if it's normal sex that you have always had in your relationship and now you just want to implement a safe word that's new, that might be a little bit more difficult to sell when it's actually not a BDSM activity. So yeah, again, a little bit more information would be helpful, but then we're asking her to make sure that she's clear because sometimes people will say this is BDSM and really know this is abuse. I've had cases where, oh, we're, we're doing some kink and we're doing BDSM and it was blatant abuse here, like in the case that I was dealing with is, no, there was severe physical destruction um, of arts and or stuff like that or tearing and that was just saying, well, you're just not a good bottom. You're not good enough and, and, you know, because you can't handle it. And so it became very, very abusive system. So you really got to watch out for, for those potential manipulations. And I think the other thing that I want to mention, and this is kind of a funny thing that I don't think people really fully understand is... Well, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> okay, let's see if we're going to... You, you start and then I'll see if we play. The subs are actually in control. Yeah, that's where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's funny because even though it looks like a dominant is in charge, they're following the consent of the submissive within their acceptable boundaries, which I think when you look at it, it doesn't look like that because really it's the, you know, the, the dominant is in charge and being responsible for all of the activities that are going on typically, but it's within the acceptable guidelines or even sometimes followed by like, because you set out a scene and kind of what you're agreeing to in that process. And they're the ones that get to decide when it stops, ultimately. You're right. And, so that's, and a lot of people think that. They think like, no, this is like, you know, hey, this is kind of abuse power. And it can be very triggering for people to even see that or even think about that concept until you fully understand that, yeah, the, the, you know, the receiver or the bottom or the person in the, what looks like the least position of power actually is the one that sets. And both can stop at any time, but it's really, you know, if the receiver says stop, it's stop it. That's that's. Well, and that may be where she wants to go um, with her partner and just say, look, if we need to really discuss what, what this looks like, what the power exchange is, and that if I say stop, it means stop, whether that's your safe word or not your safe word, this is how you kind of participate in a healthy way in BDSM. So if you want it to be healthy, this is what needs to happen. So what are some common safe words that people use, well, I would say in the community or commonly out there? Stop. Red, those are the big ones I've heard, but I mean, it can be anything. It'd be SpongeBob SquarePants as far as I'm concerned, but it has to be an agreed upon word that you both know what it means. Right. I like to use kind of the yellow light, well, red light, yellow light 
green light. green light. And so yep. green light's always assumed until you hit yellow and red. So it allows for gradients. Um, some other ones would be like pineapple is one that you would see in, uh, which is interesting because that leads to our next topic on, you know, the swinger poly kind of dynamic, but pineapple is one commonly used in, in the porn industry or the sex trade in industry. Um, and so there's, but you can really make up your own. You can. You know, how it all runs and how you want a gradient, you know, whether it's a number system, everyone stops at eight. So you can say, hey, six, seven, okay, eight, okay, slow down. Um, and so it's just making sure that communication is very clear, explicit, and, and both understand what it is. Yeah, because we want it to be healthy. And I think that's how she could approach her partner is just to say, look, I want this to be healthy. And if things get too far, how are we going to either give me the break that I need or you to fully stop? And in that case, we need a communication, whether it be a word, whether it be a sentence, a number, a color, it really does not matter, but they have to agree to it. And then when that happens, it does either slow it down, give the, the submissive a break or completely stops. So I have clients who come in. Um, so I like, how the hell can this be healthy? Like, this is not healthy. This is, this, can you explain a little bit more how, how this whole BDSM or kink thing can actually be healthy for someone? Well, I, the first question I was asked is why wouldn't it be healthy? What makes it not healthy? Everybody has, I mean, when you go, we use this a lot, this metaphor a lot of going to the uh, buffet of sex. When you go to the buffet and you find something that you like and you've got your partner's consent and everything is working well, why isn't it healthy? When someone's hitting you or calling you bad names or, yeah. or kind of causing pain, who likes that? It's people Lots like of it. people. Lots of people. And it's not just hitting. I mean, there's so many other things. Sounding is another one. Any type of suspension, um, any type of being tied down. Lots of women want to have that, have that fantasy of being tied down and just being ravaged. Well, what's, what's wrong with that? That it's technically considered a power play, which is under the umbrella. Why isn't that healthy? It's really what you enjoy. So who am I to say it's bad? I, I don't. Yeah, so I mean, we're not trying to do any labels. But yeah, a lot of people will have lots of misconceptions about yes. this. Again, some people, um, you know, when we're looking clinically, will re-engage a history of abusive behavior and actually repeat it. But the difference is they're now in a position of power and consent, which allows them to reframe it, overwrite it, and re reclaim or re-empower themselves in something that was not consensual or abusive in the past, even though it looks almost identical to the current behavior, just giving someone that they actually care about. So yeah, and there are some interesting research supporting even like uh, spank therapy. There's old, I tried to find this old Russian article. Um, they did research on intense spanking as part of the therapeutic process to relieve depression. And, you know, and it kind of makes sense in some ways because the endorphin rushes and that, you know, by being able to kind of induce um, an endorphin and or a what initially may look like a pain response can be led to an, uh, an endorphin kind of numbing or an euphoria. So people will go into subspace because they have these high levels of euphoria or kind of, I'll call it even a consensual disassociate state where they kind of phase into this sense of peacefulness or calmness that a lot of the people really appreciate or enjoy when they're in there, if they can be brought there. And so it's just, you know, make sure that we're looking at that very clearly and, you know, as an educational component, know your stuff, know your information, be very clear 
um, make no assumptions on what you might see because sometimes that cover may not really show what's the depth of the other stuff, what's going on underneath the inside the book, so to speak. Well, and it's really not for any of us to judge anybody else's kind of kink or fetish or what they enjoy sexually, because if it's if it's consensual and it's healthy and it's, you know, legal, I think this this topic really needs a lot more um, co communication around it. It's That's not a taboo, right? And it, it needs communication around it as well as education. And um, there's so much that you can read and learn about if you decide to do that. And so for this first question, you really, you both need to educate yourselves on what BDSM is, what it looks like, and how to manage this in a healthy and safe way. And possibly even get involved in a community Yes. where you can make sure that you have that third party validation. Um, there are places where they have like a dungeon, you might actually have a dungeon master who's making sure everything is done safely and you know, so that no one's getting into any trouble. And so people will go there to make sure that everything's in a safe environment. Excellent, should we go into our next set question? You betcha. Okay, question two. How do you get an understanding for your pain threshold without going over it? I'm really interested in BDSM and want to try it, but I'm scared I don't know my limits. Well, we, we've we got information about that, don't we? We have, we have information about lots of good stuff. Again, we talked about safe words, and I mean, there's trust building exercises. So in this dynamic, I mean, really what you're talking about is trusting someone to be able to manage that pain threshold. And you can technically do it on yourself, you know, as kind of even your own task, because if you're going to, let's say, pinch pinch your, your forearm or something like that, how do you test when your pain, for where your pain threshold is? And so you may start as a light pinch and you work up until you find your tolerance. But the funny thing about this is, as you do it, you will naturally find that your body will start to desensitize over time and your pain threshold will actually go up. And as it goes up after a point, your endorphin rush starts to high, you know, kick in. And so some people get that little bit of a high which numbs your body even more. And so here's where you have to worship is there's your pain threshold, but there's also your body <laughs> ability to handle it. You can build up enough of a pain threshold where you can tear skin off and it's still not hurt. And so you wanna balance both of your pain threshold with what your body can actually physically handle. Where are you at in terms of your pain threshold where, you know, where your red light stops or your yellow light? You can do that or just saying here's a two for me. Well, there's always things that you can implement too. Um, there's different types of paddles or floggers or um, like spankers that you can use and some do not hurt like flat out. You can hit as hard as you want to and they just don't hurt. They sound great if the sound is, is what um, you enjoy, but some of them just don't hurt. And so then you you up the ante and you get something that's made of out of wood or you get a flogger that is weighted or you, you know, it, there's always things that you can try, but it really is kind of testing your own limits of where you are and how far you're willing to go. And you're not going to know until you start playing with that. I think, yeah, so like the, the deer skin one, deer skin floggers or like whips, like cat and nine tails are like, they look heavy, they look like they're gonna, and they're very delicate. It's almost like, you know, bunny fur or, you know, and there's whips I've seen of bunny fur, like where it's just like, it's more symbolic. Or you can, you know, rub it on the person and dangle it on. So it becomes that play of, you know, power versus the sensation. And so everyone has a little different recipe or what they like or what runs them. And most people actually don't know what they like. And that's the other fun part that I, I think you don't know that what you don't, what you like until you've actually tasted or tried it a little bit. 
And then your body will typically go, oh, I'm not supposed to like that. I, I, I got lots of good stories regarding this, but I don't know. I'm not supposed to like that, but my body's going, oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Versus, you know, wow, I you know, was not expecting to even have my body react that way. Surprise. So it's really just kind of, it's testing your own limits and it's really having a partner who's going to listen to where you're at of what the response is. And I would take it slow. That, that's, that's your first building that level of trust. Yes. And so I think, you know, you're also saying that you're kind of interested in trying it. There's some good websites like uh, FetLife would be a good one in terms of yes. a community where that people may get involved. Um, and then again, just looking at what that roles, your roles and what roles you might want to play. Again, my article or what, you know, are you the, the top, bottom, dominant, submissive, like what role do you want to play or that your fantasies may play? If you don't really know at all, then this is where you, you know, you're either watching or looking or trying to get a good understanding of but most people tend to have a, an idea of what their preference is. Yep. The other thing I would suggest too is um, I know the dungeons aren't technically open, but they're for private rentals. You can open it, uh, a, a personal dungeon um, that you can rent out or there's places that, I mean, I don't know where this question is coming from, but there's places in many cities that have communities where they do meet, they do give um, instruction examples that you can go check out and see if that's kind of for you and what you're interested in. And you kind of get, you can play there as well. And you get a little bit of a flavor of what your limits may be in a safe environment by someone who can instruct you on what to do. Uh, third question, I am a single 43 year old male and BDSM has been something I'm interested in trying out, but I'm still trying to learn more about it. For example, what are dominance and submission? Are those like role play? How can I find someone that would also be interested in this? Because I don't want to scare anyone away. And so when you said like dominance and submission, so again, like we talked earlier, dominance is usually the, the person in perceived power versus a submissive, which is a person who is in a perceived sense of giving into that power. Ultimately, again, the submissive is the one that's setting the boundaries ultimately of that, <laughs> that consent of that. Um, and in essence, yes, it's, it's play. It's, it's roles that you're playing within this system. Um, some people do lifestyling. So it's still, it's becoming, this is what they do like oh, their whole lifetime, like versus just going out for a weekend or, a, or even a, a night out and, you know, experiencing something. So there are different levels of duration or intensity as well as we go through this too. Yeah, so getting connected with that community, they're going to know and you build up that and then kind of work there. But fat life would be the best front line if you don't have a LGBTQ community, because usually that's going to have a, another connection. So they'll usually have resources uh, in your area. I agree. And, and some, yeah, some, I think it's becoming a lot more common or, or mainstream now since, you know, since Fifty Shades came out, um, people are a lot more aware of it and they're not kind of being scared away of as much. Um, and so the, the discussion, and I think the social media has opened that up too, where people are talking a lot more open about all the nuances and differences. So, and there's a big community out there, you know, so wherever you're living, I can, I can almost guarantee there's going to be a community either within, if it's small town, it might look a little different, but they're in, in your nearest larger city, there's a community out there. And so I would, I would definitely reach out that life is great. Um, Sometimes there's other, you know, BDSM sites. I don't know any off the top of my, but they even have like BDSM conferences. So um, one of those used to be uh, Wicked in the West that we had here in Alberta. Unfortunately, it's not running this year, but there's still, you can go to their webpage and there's still things that you can look up or dominance co uh, conferences that happen worldwide that you can- Power exchange conferences. Yes. They just focused, 
So a lot of them may be global, like the, we used to have Lupertalia and Edmonton here. And so that would be a large, like it's a cluster of everything. Some places are just focusing on power play or even just like one really micro area because a lot of people go, oh, I'm into BDSM. It's like, you might only be into one really focused thing within that culture area and you might not give a crap about anything else. And so you just might find your group of like-minded individuals who like to, I mean, I'll play with this, you know, there's a term, you know, boot blacking where you just like to, you know, be submissive and, you know, putting your polish on someone who's in, who's in a role play outfit that is, you know, in a power dynamic. And so that might be your only thing. You just might like to do that, or you just might like to be decaned or paddled or people even put needles in. Needle play where the, you know, artistically and or inserting underneath the skin, kind of in a decorative dynamic, which also induces endorphins. So there's, yeah, I mean, you can get lost down this giant, it's a giant area, way, way, way much bigger um, than probably any of the other communities that I say, because it's, it's so diverse. It's, it's probably the most diverse group in terms of the activities you can do with. And a lot of them may cross over too. Yes, but lots of things that you could definitely check out and there is information available out there 100%. Great. Let's go to our last question before we kind of do our summarize, because I think Absolutely. we did a wonderful job of at least summarizing a whole bunch of stuff here. <laughs> last question is, how do I know if I'm a dominant or submissive? Well, I think the best way that I would tell people is most people start at a the bottom. They, they be on the receiving end so that they can learn how to set boundaries and understand where their bodies are. And they, they work up into top or dominant positions. Um, rather than just starting on a top, something like that. So, I mean, some people may naturally start there, but yes, it is just it, there's training. This this requires usually a, a trainer to teach the the subtle nuances. It's like it's like a buffet, and so you know you, you don't know sometimes until you try different things, and certain things require a lot more skill set and or personal power to be able to wield. Um, Oh, it's kind of just knowing a little bit about that. You talked earlier about being a switch. So you could yes. be a switch, which yes. could be you like doing both. And, you know, yes. you, and that's okay. So there's no, there's no rules regarding that. No, but I, I mean, I've also worked with clients who knew right off the bat, like I'm, I'm a dom and I want to explore this. Like I want to, I've got this need to just dominate and, and um, set the scene and this is going to go my way. So, I mean, I think it can happen both ways. And um, it's, it's just really figuring out what you like. What and sometimes we'll see this clinically, we'll see this sometimes we call it counterbalancing. So individuals who are in low power positions sometimes want to find that high power position to reclaim it or perceive power. So it allows them to now experiment with something that they have, you know, feeling better about themselves. Whereas some individuals in high power positions, and I think you see, there's some good movies that we play with that. I think I remember seeing CSI did a nice little, had a good bunch of kink kind of stuff where, you know, your, your multi-billionaire, multi-CEO of a company is actually, you know, going to the dominatrix to be told what to do and humiliated and, you know, sitting there and they're counterbalanced because in that context, it's a lot more exciting to be, to give up your power and to hand it off rather because you're always in charge and always being responsible and telling people what to do or leading that. So it's this, kind of counterbalancing or homeostasis, what we call it in psychology, is trying to maintain a healthy balance between both sides. Oh, there's our question. So yeah, so let's let's come up with our, our takeaways. So I guess the first takeaway is, I mean, there's lots of good research on books 
Um, for books, I have would be like the master's manual. I think you mentioned there was the topping. What were the books that you said? Um, when Someone You Love is Kinky by Dossie Easton, who is fantastic, lives the lifestyle. Uh, she also does the new topping and the new bottom, bottoming book. Or is that Hardy? Hardy might be doing that. Um, but excellent, excellent when it comes to power exchange and such. There's my map article, which you can take a peek at. Um, I think the main takeaways would be, I mean, BDSM is like a buffet, except it's probably, I'd call it a little bit more of a spicy buffet than the average buffet. So there's a lot more sensational, emotionally evoking things than your average run to the real sensual or, or power play buff buffet or, you know, so it is definitely, you know, out of the vanilla range commonly. Um, although I'm sure there's vanilla BDSM that people might call it too once you're in there. Sure. Um, there are many different areas um, within the BDSM, and that includes like usually it's the power play or the action play, which can include restraints or or pain or mind play and or you know role playing. But like there's it's a huge huge area. One is watch for that clinical component, and I think this is the thing that I have to teach a lot of people is, you know, there is clinical sadism, which is an unhealthy pattern, and then there is the, the kink or playful, the play sadism which they use the same term, but they mean something very different. And that's a consensual activity just in a power position in terms of that system. So they are very different. And there's interesting research that I think, you know, the surprising in this area that the community overall, when they did some psych testing is actually more healthy than the average population due to their ability to be uh, more flexible, communicative, like all the sub skills needed to be able to do this well are actually the same ones in very healthy relationships and so it's an interesting you know i guess the, i wish my average couple could communicate as well as my kink community in terms of what what they want and what they do and how to say you know and following the rules and the agreements wonderful foundation that teaches people even if it's more of the extreme area right yeah play together start start soft you know this is a this is something that you want to do with a partner, then start soft and work your way up. And but you have to completely communicate every every step of the way, which is so if important. You need to, yeah, get get a teacher. There are many happy doms to teach to teach or help you learn either being, you know, whatever roles you might be there. It's a very pretty open community regarding that. Very much so. And I would just educate yourself together, read the books together, talk about it. What do you think about this? What are your insights? What are your thoughts? Where are your feelings on this? So it gives you a little bit more of that communication base. Yeah, that's, that's BDSM 101 in Up the Rabbit Hole. And thank you, Brandy. And then we will see you next round on uh, Up the Rabbit Hole. Rabbit hole. See you.